Uh, if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, uh, my name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here, and, and I'm glad uh, that you're here. Let me pray for us, and we'll dive into our message. Jesus, um, you are good, and we get to celebrate something that is a, a picture of your goodness in baptism, uh, that you save us. You save us from our own ways. You save us uh, from thinking that, that we are the, the, the best and we are good, Father, and you show us how you are better and how following you is better. And so, Father, I pray that as I, I preach today, as I share your word today, that, that we will see you clearly and we will see that you are better, better than anything we fear, uh, better than any of our insecurities. You are better. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, um, we have had a very interesting winter. It's been hot some days, cold some days. It's been hot some mornings, cold some afternoons, right? Um, uh, but spring is coming, I promise. And when spring gets here and summer gets here, there's something that I love to do. And I love to go sit by a river. I love to go by a creek. And, and, and there's something about when I'm at a creek that's, you know, kind of not deep enough to get swept away in. But, but I love to see if I can get from one side of the creek to the other on stones. Right? Anybody do that, kids? Y'all like to do that? Yeah. Yes, me too. I love to do that. And, and, and here's what I do. I, I will stand on the side and I will, like, map out how I'm going to go, Right? And then you take a step, the first stone's good, you take another step, second stone's good, you take another step, and that third stone is a little wobbly, right? And then you've got this decision. You're halfway out in the creek. Do you turn around and go back, or do you press forward and maybe find a whole different step to take? Well, here's what you do. You look for just the right rock, you put your foot on it, you put all of your weight on it, and you do this. You take the step. That's what you do, right? You take the step. Now, in parts of our life, this same process applies, doesn't it? In parts of our lives, we're here, and we want to get there, wherever there is. Some of you want to be a better dad, and so you're here, but you want to get there and be a better dad. Some of you want to be a great student, and you're around great students, and so you're here, and you want to be there. Some of you want to be a better disciple of Christ, and so you're here, and you want to get there. Maybe God is stirring something in your soul that requires you from moving from here to going to there. Now, many of us are in this space right now where, where we're here, and we want to be there, and we're not sure what to do. And the simplest answer is what do you do is you take the step. You take the step, the very first step, you take the third step, you take the fourth step that gets you from here to there. Well, here's what we're going to see today in the book of Acts. We're not going to be in Revelation today. We're going to be here. We're going to be in Acts 21 uh, and 22. We're not going to cover every verse in that, in that, in that range. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to kind of tell the story of these verses, tell the flow of these, these verses, and we'll highlight a few of them. If you need a Bible, uh, there's some in front of you. It's on page 770. Uh, in that Bible. Uh, you can also download the Bible app, and we're in there under Fellowship Asheville. Um, but, but like I said, we, we are taking a break from Revelation for this Sunday, and here's why. 
uh, we're going through the first three chapters of Revelation. It's called Breakthrough, and, and every person that calls Fellowship Home, your name is written on the back of one of those pieces of mirror, and you have been prayed for to experience breakthrough as we go through uh, the book of Revelation. But here's the deal. The sermon that was supposed to be today wasn't appropriate for little ears in the room. Right? It talks about a topic that I thought maybe I could speak in broad terms and we'd all kind of get the gist. But as I, as I dove deeper into the scriptures and, and listened to the Spirit of God about what I need to say, it was best to push it off till next weekend to where the kids can do their thing, we can do our thing in here, and, and we can do the text justice. And so... That's also why we're having one service. When we said we're going to do a a message about baptism, that was the decision. Then we said, well, gosh, let's get everybody in the same room because baptisms are a party and they're a celebration and let's do this. That's why everybody's here today. But it's fun, isn't it? It's great to have everybody in the room. And I can't wait until the baptisms happen and everybody loses their minds and claps and all that stuff. It's going to be great. But today, here's what we're going to see, because as I was looking through, um, as I was looking through the Bible and, and talking about baptism and, uh, and how to kind of capture this idea of bat- baptism that was, that was good for everybody to hear, I, I, I looked at this, this, this process that Paul went through, because um, uh, where we are is we're going to see Paul, who was this great missionary that we see in our, in our New Testament, and Paul's going to go from here to there. And, and although he's, he's still here, where we see him start off, we're going to see him shooting to go someplace else. Because, see, God, through the Holy Spirit, told Paul that he was to leave where he was and he was to go to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's interesting. The Holy Spirit was also very kind to tell Paul his journey wasn't going to be easy and he was going to face all kinds of hardship when he got there. So it wasn't just go and there'll be a buffet waiting for you. It'll be go and life is going to be really hard. As you go, and life is going to be really hard when you get there. And as a matter of fact, he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be faced with all kinds of afflictions and imprisonment. But what does he do? He does this. He takes the step. He takes the step from where he is to where he needs to go. He pushes on toward Jerusalem. Now, for you, What I want you to do as we work our way through this passage is I want you to listen to the Spirit of God in your soul about where you need to take the next step. Like this isn't just a recount of Paul's life just for the the thrill of it, right? I want every person in this room and every person that's listening on the podcast to ask yourself, what is your next step? And each of your steps may be different. Some of you, your next step will be baptism like we're going to see today. Some of you in this room, your next step might be saying yes to this Jesus that we're going to talk about and to his offer of salvation. Some of you, your, your next step might be a step of obedience that you've been needing to take, but you've been pushing off. Some of you it might be having the conversation that you've needed to have, but haven't had yet. My prayer for you today is whatever your step of faith is, that today's the day that you take it. Now, here's the deal with steps of faith it probably won't be easy right this is what we see with paul it might be simple like paul had a very simple next step get to jerusalem but it might not be easy and that's kind of the deal with following the lord and obedience isn't it it might be simple but it might not be easy so what i'm going to do today 
is I'm going to give you some reasons why not to take a step of faith. Right? You heard me right. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't take that step of faith. We're going to see in Paul's life, he has lots of reasons why not to take that step of faith. But what we're also going to do is not only show you why you shouldn't take that step of faith, but the bigger picture is to show you why you should and why you need to take that step of faith. So let's start in chapter 21, and we're going to do verse 4. Chapter 21, verse 4, uh, Paul's been traveling. He arrives in this city called Tyre, uh, and look at what he encounters there. In 21, verse 4, it says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So what is Paul doing? Is, what's Paul doing is that he's traveling from one city to the other, making his way to Jerusalem, and he gets to this city, and, and he gathers around the other Jesus followers, and he connects with them, and, 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 and he was there for seven days, and and, and, and I'm assuming during that seven days, they prayed together, they ate together, they worshiped together. But here's what that time is known for from Paul. It wasn't, it wasn't their time together in fellowship. It wasn't their time together in worship. He stayed there for seven days, but look at what happens. It says, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's interesting. These folks prayed to the same God that Paul prayed to, worshiped the same Jesus that Paul worshiped. They were guided by the same Holy Spirit that guided Paul. And now this verse shows us that through that Holy Spirit, they told Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, if you were reading through the book of Acts, this verse would be a little confusing to you. Because you would see that Paul had this very clear direction from the Lord to go to Jerusalem. And now he's around these other believers. And they, in the spirit, are saying, you know what, Paul? Don't do this. You'd expect it to say, through the Holy Spirit, they told Paul to follow God and do what he asked you to do. Well, here's what, here's what I think. And as I read some of the commentaries and, and people who know much more about the scriptures than I do, have interpreted this and saying that through the Holy Spirit, they saw the hardship that was ahead of Paul. And out of compassion and love for him, they really didn't want him to, to go through those hardships. We don't know what's going on here. All we know is that this is confusing. And here's the deal. This group loved Paul. We can see it when they send him off. But we also know that whatever this meaning is, it didn't deter Paul from doing what he needed to do, from taking the next step. He kept on going to Jerusalem. And it's here we see this, this great reason why not to take a step of faith. And it's this. Don't take a step of faith if you expect clarity. Don't take a step of faith if you expect clarity. Right? Like I said, sometimes this is confusing. But, but here's the deal with God. We don't serve a confusing God. We serve a mysterious God. And there's a really big difference between the two of those. Very seldom does God let us know all the facts before we take a step of faith. Sometimes he will ask us to take a step of faith and then show us the facts as we go. And do you know what the difference between believing God is confusing and believing God is mysterious? There's one key ingredient that makes the view of those different, and that is trust. You see, if, you, if, if there's trust, confusion moves to mystery. 
Because mystery says somebody knows the answer. It's just not me. When you read a mystery or, or, or you watch a good movie that's a mystery, there is an author and there is a writer or there is a director who knows how this thing is going to end. It's just not you. And you can go through that mystery and you can say, oh, this is confusing and get frustrated. Or you can go through that mystery and trust somebody is going to tie the bow on this and we're going to know how this thing ends. And that's trust. And it turns it into a mystery. Well, this is what Paul does is he trusts. And so instead of letting that confusion deter him, he keeps going with what he does know. And what he does know is that God said, go to Jerusalem, and so he keeps going. But let's talk about trust for just a minute. Because this idea of trust is this core aspect of our faith. As a matter of fact, our faith is based on trust. Our gospel that we talk about, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead to pay the penalty and price of, 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 of our sin that we couldn't pay ourselves so that we can have a good, right, and, and personal relationship with God, that core of that faith is trust. We trust that what Jesus did and what he said is true. The gospel asks us to trust. As a matter of fact, in the, in the Hebrew language, that word trust means that you throw yourself into the arms of someone else. Just like a trust fall. Anybody in here ever done a trust fall? Like, before you do it, don't you have that moment of, are they really going to catch me? Or is this going to, like end up on some video somewhere, right? Like there's a moment of trust. That's the picture of our faith. We throw ourselves into the arms of God. We throw ourselves into the arms of Jesus. That's what trust is. And so for you, is your relationship with God, with God marked by trust? Do you trust who you are and what you do into the arms of Jesus and what he did and what he says? that his death and resurrection are for you. This is our gospel, and it's based on trust. But many of you in this room, you've already done that. And for you, how does it set with you for me to say, God isn't a God of confusion. He is, he is a God of mystery. See, maybe for you, there's something that you need to trust into God's care. Because the difference between confusion and mystery is just trust. And so maybe for you to take this next step, there's something for you to realize that you need to place and trust into the hands of Jesus. Because here's why you do take the step of faith. You see, you take the step of faith if you trust the God directing your steps. Then you can take that step of faith. Well, Paul goes on his way to Jerusalem. He stayed for a few days in this city called Caesarea. And there were prophets there. And, and what's interesting is some of these prophets were single women. If you, if you read through this, some of them were single women who had this prominent role in the church. And, and I was going to camp out there. I'm not going to spend too much time there. But ladies, I do want to talk to you for just a minute. I noticed something a couple of weeks ago um, about something which kind of struck me about something that we had said a few weeks before that. We are starting to have deacons here at Fellowship. And that's men and women who are servant leaders. So they're, they're servants, but they're leading servants. And we have said this is, a, this is a, a role of leadership for men and for women. And we've had men respond to wanting to be deacons. We haven't had very many. And at first I thought, well, that's interesting. Give it some time. 
Here's what happened a couple of weeks ago when we did communion. If you were here, we did communion a little differently. We served it out uh, during the service because it fit, it fit what we were talking about. And what's interesting, I said, hey, can I have some volunteers to pass out communion? You know whose hands went up first? It was the guys. I had three guys come down. I said, okay, hands down, I want some women. And here's what I saw. Like, for real? Like, that's what I saw. I saw, I saw you saying, like, for real? You, yes. Yes. Listen, ladies, you read through the New Testament, and women had a prominent role in the church. Women need to have a prominent role in this church as well. And so put your hand up, right? Serve in this church. Serve as leads, as deacons in this church. Serve because God has gifted you for the, with spiritual gifts for the building up of the body. And so that's all I'm going to say. We're going to move on. All right. All right. So, so but in that family of, of prophets, there were, there were single women that were, had this prominent role in the church. And then there was this guy, Agabus, who did this to Paul. Look at verse 11. So this is what Agabus did. He said, in coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, being Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. So here's what's happened. This, this prophet of God takes Paul's belt and wraps it around him to show that he's bound up. And he says, Paul, this is going to happen to you if you keep going where you're going. If you keep taking these steps of faith, this isn't going to bode well for you. And even Paul's team switches and they start telling Paul, Paul, Listen, dude, are you sure we need to do this? Notice the pronoun. It says we. We urged him not to go. And so they certainly heard Paul already talk about what was ahead for him. But now it's getting real as they're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And so here's another reason why you don't take a step of faith. You don't take a step of faith if you expect the crowds to cheer you on. They might. It's what I love about baptism here. Like, this is a time you can pretty much guarantee the crowds are going to cheer you on. Because what happens in this room is that, is that you will, we will talk about the person being baptized a little bit, uh, kind of tell you a little bit about their story, and then I will baptize them. And I will look them in the eye and I will say, have you come to a place in your life where you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And they say yes. It's only happened once where a kid went, um... It was the sweetest thing, y'all. He said, um, and of course his dad is there next to him going, say yes, say yes, say yes. And he said, he looked at me, he goes, every day. So I dunked him. <laughs> but isn't that the sweetest thing? Like, I will look at them and say, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And what happens is they say yes, and I baptize them, they the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and it is quiet. And something happens in that few seconds where they go underwater and they come back up. Because what happens is y'all cheer and clap and holler. So they go down in this quiet and stillness and they come up to a party. And that's one of the things I love about baptism because it is a picture of what heaven is going to be like. Because one day, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to close your eyes in silence and darkness. And when your eyes open again, it'll be a party in heaven. That's lucky for us, already going on. We just get to join in. That's what that celebrates. Now, the crowds will cheer then, but every step of faith doesn't get that reaction. 
Look at this in verse 13. It says, Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am already, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so Paul was clear on what his next step was. Paul was clear on what the Holy Spirit was asking him to do. And he knew what was ahead. And guess what? Do you know what, what turns this expectation of crowds cheering into courage? It's the same thing. It's trust. He trusted the Lord. Now here's the deal about me. I have a, a part of my soul that is dwindling, but it's still there and sometimes gets a loud voice where I am a people pleaser by nature. I really care about what you think about me. And that's who I am. And I want the crowds to cheer me on. But here's what I've learned is, as, as leadership has grown, as my leadership has grown, and as it's growing, and as I grow in my faith, as I mature, my expectation of the crowd cheering has become less and less and less. Because the decisions uh, that we make as we mature in Christ become more and more important. They become more and more big. Um, and, and, and crowds just cheer less. The only way I can lead is knowing that I am following God. Y'all, the only way that you can lead, the only way that you can parent, the only way that, that, that you can succeed in your marriage is to know that you are following God, that it lines up with his scripture, it lines up with, with who he is. You can take that next step of faith if you trust the God who's directing your steps. Well, here's what Paul does. He makes it to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was this interesting city. It was the hub of Christianity. If, if, if this was politics, Jerusalem is the Washington, D.C. of Christianity. It's where it, it's where it started. Right? And do you know what happens when Paul gets there? He's this guy that's been, that's been traveling the, the world, so to speak, sharing about Jesus, seeing people come to Christ in amazing ways. And he gets back to Jerusalem, uh, and, and, and man, you would expect there to be this fanfare that, oh, he's back, tell us stories. And that happens some, but what also happens is he has this first encounter with false accusations. Because he meets some leaders of the church and, and, and he reports to them all that God has been doing and how literally thousands of people are responding to the good news of Jesus. And churches are being started and leaders are being trained up and sent uh, all over the place. And the leaders here in Jerusalem, they, they respond with praise and worship, which is great. But then they tell Paul that certain people have been spreading rumors about him. And they say that that Paul is telling people that the Jewish law, the, 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 the books of Moses and the Old Testament, that Paul's telling people that you don't need those anymore. And the truth is, Paul kind of was. He was telling people that Jesus fulfilled them. And why these books of law are good to point people to their need of a Savior, the books of the law can't save you. That you need Jesus to do that. But that's not the rumors that were going around. The rumors were just half of that story. The rumors were just, hey, Paul is telling people we don't need our Bibles anymore. He's telling people, he's telling people that, that Moses isn't important anymore. He's telling people that they don't need to follow the law of God anymore. Now, here's the problem with people that are comfortable telling half the story, telling half truths. If they're comfortable telling half truths today, they're going to be comfortable lying telling a complete lie tomorrow. 
And so this happens. Hop down to verse 27. Chapter 21, verse 27. It says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd um, and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously been seen with, how do you say that, Thropomus and uh, the Ephesian and with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought them into the temple. Now here's another reason why you don't take a step of faith. Don't take a step of faith if you expect people to be nice. Because let's be honest, there are just mean people out there, aren't there? There are just some people who don't get taking a step of faith. And we have an enemy, and he actually doesn't want you to take that step of faith either. And he wants you to stay right where you are. And listen, he doesn't mind using all kinds of rumors and half-truths and bold-faced lies of accusations to get you to stop. But guess what? Take the step of faith. Say it with me. If you trust the God who is directing your steps. So say it with me again. Take the step of faith. If you trust the God directing your steps. You see, Paul was beaten and almost killed over these accusations. And so chaotic was the situation, this riot started. And do you know what Paul does in the midst of this riot? He says, hey, can you give me the mic? Let me speak. They didn't have mics, but you know, it's it's an illustration, right? And that's where chapter 22 starts up. Paul gets up and starts talking to the people to calm them down. And, And what he does is he gives this speech. He gives this speech recounting how Jesus saved him. He gives this speech talking about the Savior that they're fighting about and saying, he saved me. And see, when you trust when you trust in God to take this step of faith, sometimes, sometimes God will ask you to speak up, kids. Kids, sometimes God will ask you to share your story of Jesus in front of other people. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a big group of people. But when God asks you to stand up and speak, often the most powerful words that you can speak are just simply tell God's story in your life. There's really no greater words that you can say than telling others what God has done in and through you because sometimes people need to hear that God loves you in your story so that they can understand how God loves them. And sometimes just getting up and telling your story like Paul did helps people get how much God loves you and God loves them. And then in verse 16, chapter 22, verse 16, Paul adds this about his story. He says, and now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And so he's speaking to this group of people that don't know Jesus. And he's just told them, listen, this is, this is the Savior. Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. He died as the ultimate and final sacrifice to pay for the penalty of sin. Now, if you believe that, he tells them, rise and be baptized. In other words, Say yes to Jesus right now and be baptized and show everybody here 
what your faith is about. Because that's what baptism is. He's talking to a group of people who don't know Jesus. And it is this public display of them saying yes to Jesus. Now, we have different ways to do that. Now, I talk about saying yes to Jesus every single time I get up and speak. Whether it's here, whether it's at Ridgecrest, whether it's wherever. I always try and, and weave in this, this idea that some people in this room haven't said yes to Jesus. And I want you to do that today. And that's what Paul is doing, is he's telling them to say yes to Jesus today and come down and be baptized and wash away your sins. He's not saying that baptism washes away your sins. He's saying that when you say yes to Jesus, your sins are washed away. And baptism is this great picture of that. Just like I said, it's this picture of what happens to us when we get to heaven. It's also this picture of what happened to us on the inside. That you can say yes to Jesus and nobody but you and God know until you make this public display of your faith that we call baptism it's this physical picture on the outside of what happens on the inside well after he told God's story look at this in verse 22 where am I it says up up to this word they had listened to him then they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live well, that probably didn't go the way he had hoped, right? He called them to see Jesus as who he was and what he has done for Paul to send Jesus to the Gentiles, to those who aren't Jewish. And that this, that was when it was too much for them to bear. And so, y'all, this is the toughest and hardest reason to not take a step of faith. Don't take a step of faith if you expect a happy ending. Now, you can have a joyful ending, but sometimes things don't work out the way we expect, even when we're doing what God has said to do. Now, if this has happened to you, then you know how bewildering and how frustrating, even if infuriating, this can be. But if your step of faith aligns with God's word, if your step of faith aligns with the character and truth of God, then guess why you take the step of faith? You take the step of faith if you trust the God directing your steps. Because what happens to Paul next is this curveball for sure. Because in the midst, in the midst of this, of this tension, in the midst of, 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 of this, this, you're going to Jerusalem and it's going to be hard and it's going to be tough, right before his beating, like the beating that might have killed him, he drops this bomb on him and says, hey, is this what you typically do to Roman citizens? And all of a sudden they go, what? You're a Roman citizen? It changes the game. And it says, okay, then we can't do this here. You've actually got to go to Rome. And it stopped it. And here's what I love about this. God told Paul to go to Jerusalem. When Paul went to Jerusalem, God said, guess what, buddy? I'm going to send you to Rome. And when we look at the letters that he wrote from Rome, he was in prison. Now, his house arrest, it wasn't like some dungeon with a beam of light shining down on a weed that turns into a tree, like none of that. Like, like I mean, we've seen the picture. But he's on house arrest, and so people would bring him food, and he would have visitors, but he was limited in, in what he could do. And so it was still a prison as he was in Rome. But during that time, you know what Paul wrote during that time? When I say, you know, take a step of faith if God is trusting you, but don't take a step of faith if you expect happy endings. During that time of, of imprisonment, Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Anybody know what the theme of Philippians is? 
It's three letters, starts with J, ends with Y, and has a zero and an O in the middle. What is the theme? Joy. He wrote this letter about joy, even though he didn't get the happy ending. He got a better ending because he took the step of faith, because he trusted the God who was directing his steps. Now let's check back in on this issue of trust. Because here's the deal, our God is a God of movement. And he often asks you to start something or to stop something. Because you see, I believe we all have this area in our life where we are here and something else is there. Whether it's being a better dad, a a student, a single, how you live your single life, an employee, a boss, a husband, a wife, a better follower of Jesus. We all have area in our life where we're here and God is asking us to be there. And to do this takes a step of faith that's requiring you to trust God more and more in your steps. And so here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to list some themes, and I want you to take a moment and think, is there a step that you need to take but haven't? Where does trust need to be in place for this to happen? So maybe for you it is this gospel invitation that you need to trust in Jesus and trust the way that God gave you to have your sins forgiven and to experience this deep joy. That is, that is saying yes to Jesus. Maybe that's your first step of faith. Maybe there's something you actually need to stop. Maybe there's sin in your life and, and you need to take a step of faith and confess that sin. The book of James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And maybe you need to confess and repent of that sin. You can trust the God who can change your life. Maybe there is this fear of pleasing people. It's when it hits a little close to home. All right, maybe there's this fear of pleasing people. We can trust the God who is pleased in us. We already have our biggest cheerleader, and he is God the Father. Maybe, maybe yours is the fear of the unknown. Well, you can trust the God who knows and sees and arranges all things. Maybe yours is the fear of confusion. When things get chaotic and don't make sense, you just stop. Well, here's the deal. You can trust the God who holds all the mysteries in his hands. Maybe it's a fear of being uncomfortable. You don't want to take a step of faith because of what might happen. Well, trust the God who provides for you. Because here's the deal. We take joy in knowing that one day there will be this ultimate happy ending. Until then... Church, let's trust the God who directs our steps. Are y'all in? All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, we trust you. We want to trust you more, but we give you the trust that we have. And, 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 and Father, we know that you are a good God and you will not uh, slap that out of our hands, but you will take that as the beautiful gift that it is. And so, Father, I pray that whatever trust that we have, we, we give that to you, Father, and you turn that into something that is glorious. And you give us courage where we need courage. You give us wisdom where we need wisdom. You give us compassion where we need compassion. And you give us exactly what we need to take that next step of faith and that you would get the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen.